The gospel that Jesus brought was a gospel of grace. It was a gospel that God was not up in the up in the heavens looking to put his thumb on you, but he was a God that was up in heaven that was looking for a relationship with you. And for the religious leaders, Jesus was a um, was a real threat. And as we look at as we look at those leaders, and we're going to be looking at them more closely a little bit this morning in chapter twelve. I'm thoroughly convinced that most of them didn't believe that they were really persecuting the Son of God. They thought they were persecuting uh, a lunatic, probably. A, a, a man that was an illegitimate son of a carpenter and a young girl. He had not went through their rabbinical training. He was, uh, he was not doing it the way it was supposed to be done. And, and I'm sure for many of them, they felt like they were the keepers of truth. And this guy was a threat to, to anyone who was seeking after truth. But what we saw last week in chapter 11 was that as a result of, of years and, and actually centuries of this, these religious leaders had taken those Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai and they had simplified them like we do our, our, our IRS code to hundreds of checklists of do's and don'ts. And the people were worn out trying to keep all this religious stuff. The people were worn out trying to be good enough for God to forgive them or to be good enough to be accepted by God. And it was, and it was boiled down to a long list of do's and don'ts, of rules. And here comes this young speaker, teacher, preacher, and he's telling them that God's more concerned with relationships than he is with rules. So at the end of that discourse with the people, Jesus invites them to come into them, all that are weary and labor and stressed out. And he says, he'll give them rest. And he said, take his yoke, learn of him because his method, his yoke is easy and his burdens light. That was so different than the religious burdens, than the religious yoke. That was, a, again, that was a checklist of do's and don'ts and, 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 and burden down under the burden. And here he come and said, no, my yoke is easy. My burden's light. Come to me. So as we get to chapter 12 this morning, we see that for those who receive Jesus' gospel, it was, it was freedom. It was liberating. It, was, it, was, it, it had to be life-changing indeed like a life-changing experience when Jesus Christ comes into our hearts and forgives our sins. But to those who did not see him as a messenger of truth, but of deception, their, their uh, opposition comes to the surface in such a way that when we get to chapter 12 this morning, they're openly looking for a way to put Jesus to death, to silence him. And it all kind of started like this. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the fields, or through the corn. And um, the word corn here, I, I know if we think of corn, but when King James was translating this, uh, barley, wheat, rice, some other translations will have what? grain fields and corn was a, just a word that was that was used to cover all the grain it's kind of like our word for tater or potato right 
Yeah, if you, it, potatoes, you, you don't necessarily say, is that a Yukon or is that a Kennebec or is that an Irish potato? Or, you know, it's just taters. So it, they were going through the grain fields and his disciples were hungry and they began to, to pull, and I can imagine, and again, if this happened late April, early May, the, uh, the, the grain would have been ripe, dead ripe. Harvest was usually over by the time rainy season started in, in middle May. So they would go through, they were hungry, they could just take their hands, come up a stalk of the, of the grain, rub it together, blow the, the uh, chaff off, and get a mouthful of granola. It wasn't granola, but grain. <laughs> and so they were hungry, and they began to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they came to Jesus really upset. And they said, listen, your disciples are doing that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day. Now, it wasn't that, it wasn't they were robbing somebody else's grain. It was okay if you were hungry to, to take grain if you needed it. But again, in their rules and regulations of, of the Sabbath, you got to remember where the Sabbath kind of originated and where it, where it come from. In Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 1, in Genesis chapter 1, um, verse 31, Jesus had just finished speaking the world in the creation. And uh, as he finished his work, then it says that six days he did this on, on, the, on the Sabbath day, he rested from all that he had done. And then in Exodus chapter 20, verse 9, 10, and 11, Jesus, uh, Moses uh, God telling Moses, I'm just going to get up with him there. Uh, give, so giving him the command, and this is what he says. Six days you'll labor and do all your work, but on the seventh, the seventh is Sabbath to the Lord. In it you don't work, neither anybody is in your housework or anybody else. Verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all his in them and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Then in Exodus 31, God would explain a little bit more. And the Lord spake to Moses and saying to the children of Israel, my Sabbath you'll keep for it's a sign between us and you'll know that I, the Lord, have sanctified you. You'll keep the Sabbath therefore for it's holy and everyone who defileth it will surely be put to death. Six days do you work, but on the seventh, it's a day of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work on that day will surely be put to death. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe it for a perpetual covenant between them and God. It's a sign between God and the children of Israel. He says, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And I love what said in, it says in Exodus 23, verse 12, especially in the New Living Translation. It says, you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day, stop working. This gives your animals a chance to rest. It also allows your, those in your house still a chance to rest and to be refreshed. Now, it's interesting that... Um, uh, I read, and some of you have probably read the studies, in some of the atheistic countries, in the, in the socialism 
communist uh, Russia, China, other countries uh, that looked and as, as different men came into power at different times of history, they've looked at this five or six day work week as a Christian thing. And so in an effort to get away every vestige of anything to do with God, they said, we're not gonna do that, we're gonna work all the time. And what they found out is that God was smarter than they was. Is that you can't keep going on because not only people wear out, but your equipment and your, your animals wear out. So God was saying, hey, there's a day that's set aside that you need to rest and you need to be refreshed and you need to remember. He said, it's a covenant between, between Israel and him. He said, you need to remember why we're doing it. You need to remember that I've called you and I have set your part. You're special, just like I've set aside this day to be special. And so with that, that was given by God that was good, the religious leaders over a few centuries had simplified it and clarified it till you wonder what they're worshiping. Is it a person or is it a set of rules? Give you an example of kind of how the Pharisees were thinking. For them, uh, and I've I've pulled a couple of of really extreme examples because, but but there's a lot of them I could have pulled. The difference between wearing something and carrying something, between wearing and carrying. If a woman was wearing a hair clip in her hair on the Sabbath, that was okay. But if she was carrying it, that was work, and she could be put to death for that. Now, if she was wearing it on the Sabbath, it had to be put in before the Sabbath, or she was working. It's ridiculous, but that was how far it was. Another one is taking a bath on the Sabbath. Now, when I was growing up, we always got our bath on Sabbath night. That was Saturday night. We got our bath so we'd be clean for church Sunday morning. But if you took a bath on the Sabbath, if any water splashed out of the container and fell on the floor and you got it up, that was considered work. You was cleaning the floor and it was punishable with a maximum penalty. So you see how extreme they had gotten. Now, in all honesty, again, it just kind of happens. I I was blessed, uh, I I was really blessed growing up. By the time I was born, my dad and mom were both Christians. And um, so I grew up, in, in church, grew up in a house of prayer. 1959, I accepted the Lord at the old saint in the house of prayer. And I was around good people, really good people, and people that love the Lord. But just to give you an example of kind of how things can get, growing up, we weren't allowed to fish on Sunday. Now, as a kid, we could fish six days a week, but on Sunday we couldn't fish. And it was, Dad, dumb, what a waste of time. I thought that was. As we got a little older, we weren't allowed to hunt on Sunday. We could hunt any other days of the week. And you don't know how many times as an as a older kid, I'd, during deer season, I'd hear somebody shoot a gun and I'd think some sinner's just shot. <laughs> we, we weren't allowed to mow our grass on Sunday. Didn't, oh, don't mow the grass on Sunday. We didn't do any work on Sunday. Yeah. Now, and, and I appreciated that, but and nobody ever said anything particular. It's just, we don't do that. So as I got a little bit older, able, able to drive, I would 
drive by and I'd see somebody mowing their grass on Sunday and I'd think, man, you know, you're going to split hell wide open. Uh, what did you do yesterday? You was probably doing something yesterday that you didn't have to do. So you could, you know, you should have been doing that yesterday when he was out fishing or something. And it's just kind of a judgmental attitude. Well, that's kind of how crazy that is. It, it, it really, but we, in our mind, we category. Now, I know none of you were ever brought up like that or you wouldn't ever think that way. But as we go through this this morning, I could name a lot of other things that somehow or another have, have, have become what we worship more than who we worship. And we have, and if we aren't careful, we can look at people who aren't keeping that same, they don't have the same set of rules that we have. Their rules are different. They grew up where it was okay to do that. They grew up in a, and, and their, their checklist is different from mine. Huh. And that can cause, interesting what it can cause. Well, Jesus is going through the fields and so these Pharisees come to him and said, it's not right. What your disciples are doing is not right. Matter of fact, and they were saying when it's not lawful, they were saying, and Jesus, they were, he was wondering if they're going to start, take them, try to stone them for working on the Sabbath. Now, Jesus gives them two examples that they would have been very, very, very familiar with. He says to them in verse three, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And uh, those men that were with him, and that's just from Samuel, the book of, I think, 1 Samuel. says how he entered into the house of God, and he ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them that were with him, but only for the priest. They had just been uh, either uh, in battle or, or running, uh, fleeing. They were worn out. They were tired. They were famished. They had no strength left. And David goes in, in there, and he asks the priest if they have anything to eat. And he says, all we've got is this bread that's... Uh, that's, that's sacred, not supposed to be eaten except by the priest. And David said, bring it out. And he eats it and his men eat it. And then, and David was, David was really, really special to these people. They, they believed David was a great king after God. And, and so Jesus said, well, what about what David did? And then Jesus uses another example that had been really, really familiar to him. Verse five, he says, or have you not read in the law? I think it's in Exodus. How that on the Sabbath day, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless. What do you mean? Well, on the Sabbath, the priest had to at least offer two sacrifices, sometimes more. But the priests were killing these animals. They were dressing them. They were burning the, the part that needed to be burned. They were saving. The priests were doing the priestly duty on the Sabbath day. And yet it was Okay. So Jesus gives, gives these two examples and he was saying to them, you, you, you come out here and you're, you're ready to condemn my disciples. What about them? What about, the, what about David? What about the priest? And as they're, as they're pondering this, Jesus continues. He said, but I'm, I'm, I'm gonna tell you something. He said that in this place is one greater than the temple. I can hear the suck of breath. You've got to be, you've got to be. And he goes on and he says, for the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Oh my goodness. 
Oh my goodness, you, you, you know, they're understanding what he's saying. He's saying he's above their law. He's saying that, he, that he's more important than the temple that God had, God had set aside and, and that they've been, he's, more, he's above their rules. And they are, I can, I, their blood, the, the blood pressures have gone off the chart. And I can imagine red faces and all, and they're, but he doesn't leave it lay at that. Because look what happens. He, he goes then directly in verse nine into the synagogue. And when he goes into the synagogue, there's a man there, he's got a crippled hand. And must have called attention to it. Maybe the man was, was there for help, I don't know. But they call attention and, and Jesus, and they turn to Jesus and they say, okay, tell us, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days? And it tells us, verse 10 tells us that they asked this because they wanted to trick him. They wanted to accuse him. They wanted to find more fault. He's already said that you, my, my disciples, you're saying it, if you, you know, I'm, 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 what about David? More than this, and, he, and, he, and about the priest. And so they ask him, is it right to heal on the Sabbath day? Hoping to trick him. And J Jesus then says, what man shall there be among you if he has a sheep and it falls into a, the pit on the Sabbath? Will not lay hold on it and take it out? Now, there's other scriptures that talks about the ox being in a ditch, right? We used to talk about ox being in a ditch on Sunday. Falls in a well. Yeah, yeah, falls in a well. You know, and, and sometimes I believe I would run my ox in the ditch on Sunday so I could get it out. You know, I don't know, but, but um, I want, we'll come back to that. But he's asking them this, and then he, then he says, well, how much more value to God is, is this man with his crippled hand than one of your sheep that would fall in a well? And then Jesus turns to the man with the withered hand, look at this, in verse 13, and he says to the man, hold out your hand. And when the man holds his hand out, it became, it became well, completely healed. Wow. And of course, the result in verse 14, the result of that is the Pharisees go out quickly, they huddle together, and they decide, they're trying to figure out how they're going to take care of Jesus. How are they going to get rid of him? How are they going to get rid of him? The fact that he's doing this is... Uh, the fact that he's doing this is he's, he's not regarding their laws at all. It's going to be chaos. People are going to die and go to hell because they're following this, this crazy man. And they felt like they were the only ones there that were bearing truth. They wanted them to destroy him. They had made, to them, the Sabbath had become their idol. They were worshiping, keeping it but the Lord of the Sabbath was right amongst them and they didn't even realize it. Legalism. It's when we feel like that we get right with God by a set of rules, by checking off all the do's and all the don'ts. And if we're really, really honest, I was thinking about this week when I was thinking about my attitude, used to, how my attitude used to be who people, I saw people doing things on Sunday that I wish I could do, but my daddy wouldn't let me do. If we aren't careful, most of us have some kind of set of expanded rules that we try to avoid because we don't want to hinder our relationship with God. I want to go back in the time that's left, and I want to go back and look at verse 7. I skipped it as we came through, and I want to look at verse 7. 
Jesus tells them if you had, uh, that there's one here greater in this place than the temple. Then in verse seven, he says, but if you had known what this means, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. You wouldn't have condemned the guiltless. Now, if that verse sounds a little bit familiar, it should. Because just, just, a few chap- just a few chapters back in Matthew chapter 9, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus is uh, again dealing with attitudes. In 9, 13, he says, but go and learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I'm not come the righteous but sinners to repentance. Now, Jesus is not condemning the sacrifices. God had set up the sacrificial uh, system and it was as a forerunner, it was a foreshadowing, it was a type of of God's lamb, Jesus Christ, of of Jesus that he was gonna fulfill that. He wasn't condemning that. This is a Hebrew way of saying, God prefers mercy more than he prefers rules, more than he prefers you sacrificing something. You giving up something that you think is costing you a lot so you can get something back from God for it. Now, both these references, Jesus is referring to an Old Testament prophet by the name of Micah. In Micah chapter six, no, I'm sorry, it's Hosea. Micah's just a minute. Hosea chapter six. In Hosea chapter six, God says this. Hosea, God says, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Now, I think Craig may have it. There may have this in the Living Bible also. Yeah, look, look what it says in the NLT. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to what? Know me. I want you to know me more than, burn, than I want burnt offerings. It's about relationships. Jesus, this salvation that Jesus was sharing, this gospel that Jesus was sharing, it was about relationship. God wants us to know him so much that he gave us his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could understand more fully how much God loves us with understanding Jesus. So Jesus had told these religious leaders just a, a day or two ago, you need to go learn what the prophet Hosea meant when he said, I desire mercy and not truth. Now they come back a few days later and one of their their checklists has just been all messed up because Jesus' disciples is eating this grain on the Sabbath day and they're checking them off. And then Jesus says to them here in verse seven, if you had known, it's kind of like he's saying, I told you to go Check with Hosea what Hosea meant. If you'd just studied it and learned and understand, if you'd known what Hosea was talking about, you wouldn't be out here condemning these guys for eating the grain. Wow. So I don't want us to make the same mistake that these religious leaders were making. I don't want us to have our set of rules and checklists and be too strict about seeing if other people fit into our list and being too quick to condemn or or convict 
because they ain't doing it like we are or like we think it's supposed to be done. There's a verse in Micah 6, 8 that God kind of simplifies it. Now, I, I like things simple. I don't like a lot of words. I get lost in words now. A lot of you are going to say, well, if you get lost in a lot of words, you stay lost because you use a lot of words. But there, I, t- I told first service, there's, there's really a couple really practical and logical reasons of why that is, is my mother was a woman, so I'm half woman. That's part of it. And then the, the other is that my mother was a Kelly. And so for all my Kelly kinfolk here, she loved to talk. And Kelly's just usually love to talk. So I love to talk, but, but Micah 6, 8 simplifies and puts it like this. He said, what does the Lord really want from us? What does the Lord really want from us? And he says, he showed you what he wants. He wants us to do justly or to do right. Do the next right thing. Do what's right. He wants us to do what's right. And he wants us to love mercy and walk humbly with him. Mercy is one of those things that... uh, We all love to be granted mercy, but we find it so hard often to extend that mercy to others. Mercy is back when we were talking about in the Beatitudes in the fifth chapter of Matthew. I think we were talking about uh, uh, the verse in Matthew where it says, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. And we were talking about that, that the difference between mercy and grace, that by God's grace, for by grace are you saved through faith, that grace is God giving to us that which we do not deserve, grace, salvation. We don't deserve it, he gives it to us. And mercy is God not giving to us that which we do deserve. For all have sinned and come short, the glory is God, for the ways of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So mercy is that that God extends to us by not giving us what we've earned and deserve, but he bestows grace upon us. And he says to you and to me, when it's within your ability to say, I told you so, when it's within your ability to punish or to harm, please think about what the prophet was saying when he said, I like mercy more than sacrifices. After all, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, he says, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love that he loved us with, because of his overwhelming abundance, we talk about our heavenly father, we talk about God owning everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth and all the land. You know, he owns it all, it's his, he's creator. But one of the ways that his word is chose to reveal himself to us too is that he says that he is super rich. He is filthy rich, if God could be filthy. He is super rich in mercy. I like that. I like that. I love it. We have so many examples. The publican standing and praying before God, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God looking down and saying, hey, I like that man's prayer. What does God require us? Do the next right thing. Love mercy and walk humbly before God. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with him. And Jesus says to these guys, you had not got it yet. You haven't got it yet.
You need to get it. And I want to be sure that we understand that. I want to be sure that we get that. And be careful with our own checklist of do's and don'ts and people that aren't doing it right. Now listen, I'm not compromising the gospel. There is no other way to be right in a right relationship with a holy God than through his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who loves us. It is Christ's blood that is sinless. It is Christ's righteousness that covers me and covers you. Anything else that I do to try to deserve that righteousness or earn that righteousness is just a bunch of garbage. And he wants us to, re- he wants us to understand and rejoice in that liberty and that freedom and that love that he's loved us with. And he wants us to be able to communicate that and share that, share that and grant that to those around us. These religious leaders were so convinced that I believe it. They were so convinced they were the keepers of truth. And yet they didn't know truth when he stood among them. Why? Because they had substituted a relationship with God with a bunch of rules. Ain't nothing like he wants to know you. He wants you to know him. Have you trusted him today as your savior? If you, if you have, then Galatians would say, uh, for our brethren, we have you know, been born in liberty. Only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And don't go back and be tangled again with the yoke of bondage. What does he mean? He's saying if you've been saved by the grace of God, you've experienced that, that grace and his mercy has been extended. Now he says, don't try to keep that by keeping a bunch of do's and don'ts. You couldn't couldn't gain it that way. You can't keep it that way. It's by grace and by mercy in a relationship with him. Do what's right. Love mercy and walk humbly with God. Let me pray with you. Father, we love you this morning. Your word is so true. Your word is so fresh, refreshing. So Father, it's my prayer today that we walk in this, walk this out in this relationship with you and with each other and with each other and that Jesus would not come back and say hey I told you to learn what that means why did you not do it but that father that we would seek you and listen to you and walk with you in that in Christ I pray now there's just a word I want to for Sabbath significant after and we talked we've talked about this before after Jesus Resurrection. Jesus was raised on the first day of the week. And so we see in the book of Acts and, on, and, and then later through the, the New Testament, we see the Christians gathering on the first day of the week. We call it the Lord's Day, Sunday. That's, that's where we are, that's today. Um, and Revelation, John, the writer of Revelation, as, as the Holy Spirit was speaking to him, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. That was the day they worshiped on. But Paul would clarify it up really and say it this way. You know, it's really, he said, it's not if you worship God on the Sabbath or if you worship him on the first day of the week. He said, it's not about keeping the, 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 the festivals and, and all the, those things. He said, every day is special to the Lord. It's just a relationship that we desire with him. If it is, it's not, you know, it's easy for checklists to slide in there. He says, no, it's about relationship. It's about knowing him. All right, we're through. Um, all right, we're going to... Somebody grab the things and let's, uh, let's, we're we're just saying something. I've been dying, I've been dying to hear y'all sing acapella in here.
Um, and I don't know what, um, I don't know what, I, I, th I think there's probably nothing better than amazing grace. How about let's stand into our feet, because it just bounces off. I, I know it drives sound people crazy, but I love that. Uh, and this is going to be, and, and we're going to do it, we get started, Mildred, then we're going to do it without music. Uh, that sounded like my note. Now give everybody else theirs. All right, here we go. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was but Thank you. Go with the Lord. See you at six.